Welcome to the workshop, The Program at Home. My name is Pam. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator speaker for this session. Hi, Pam. Hello. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed are by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and an ask it basket questions. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. Do we have that basket? Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, the reading is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 127. Since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. I'm going to read it literally. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who is getting over alcoholism must remember that he did much to make them so. As each member of a resentful family begins to see his shortcomings and admits them to the others, he lays a basis for helpful discussion. These family talks will be constructive if they can be carried on without heated argument, self-pity, self-justification, or resentful criticism. Little by little, mother and children will see they ask too much, and father will see he gives too little. Rather than getting will giving rather than getting will be the guiding principle and I will now speak for 20 minutes and I don't relate at all to that passage I don't we'll see at the end of 20 minutes if I relate or not uh, I'll start by qualifying and also telling you why it was I volunteered for this topic. This is uh, a discovery, so any bit of attention you can give me would be appreciated because I'll be discovering too. Uh, I know I'm very passionate about this, and it's become more and more important for me about recovery at home, and um, in particular, living with a recovering compulsive overeater the people that live with me and have lived with me through my years in OA. Um, I'm grateful at this point that I'm even considering them and what it's like for them because mostly I'm just concerned about myself and getting the food I want and eating when I want and their opinions of me and whether the leftovers have been eaten when I was wanting them and things like that. And at this point, I'm really interested. It's just that little bit of distance where I can look kind of six and seven, like Adele was talking about. Like, oh, look look at how I act in the kitchen. Look how, look how I act a few minutes before meals. And um, it's been mostly why I wanted to do this is because of current situation, being married to a wonderful man, wonderfully loving, accommodating program man. But this started many years ago. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for 30 years. The summer makes 30 years when I was in graduate school and I walked into a meeting in Monterey Park. And it was the family at home topic in my first few years is very different than it is now. I was a graduate student. I was living on my own. 
uh, I had a roommate when I started program, but it got real clear that I needed to live alone as soon as possible. I was really bouncing off the walls. Remember one night coming home from Sunday Alhambra, some speaker was talking about bouncing off the walls, and I watched myself when I came home. I wasn't on the walls, but pretty close to it. Um, and during the 30 years, like all of us, a lot of things happen. I met my first husband in Overeaters Anonymous. That's quite a story. We divorced partly because of the differences that we had in how to work a program. That was one of the reasons. Raised my two children. They're both out of the house now, including my daughter, who is very obese and started gaining weight at two years old. At that point, I don't remember how many years of abstinence I had, but it was probably approaching 10 and to watch my daughter spend her years being obese, that is, I think, the topic we're talking about, how my compulsive overeating and my recovery and my relationship to my program affected my mothering and affects how I feel about my daughter now. And um, this was a very interesting time of day to be talking because um, energy is a bit low, and I feel so filled up with what the other speakers have given me that I think I'm just going to do what I've done all these years, is I've taken it in all morning, and I'm just going to give it back to you through the filter of my experience. That's really all I can do. Um, my enthusiasm for doing this topic is not quite as strong at this moment as it was when I asked to do it. So, and on purpose I didn't bring notes, but all I have to do is remember those times when I've been sarcastic and irritable in the kitchen around dinner time, and I'm sure it'll come back. Um, my husband and I have been talking about, uh, he's an Al-Anon, and if this was an AA convention, there would be Al-Anon meetings. There would be meetings for people who love and care about alcoholics. When I started OA, there was O-Anon, but it didn't go very far. I, I went because I married a compulsive overeater. It didn't really work out. And so I asked one of the committee members whether there was a place, a meeting for my husband to go to because he wanted to come all day. And he, I thought it would be great if he could sit at a meeting and talk to other people that one day I like green beans, the next day I don't like green beans. One day this is on the plan, the next day it is, even though I tell him uh, there's a lot going on in my head too. And He does cooking at home very graciously, and so he needs to know. And he, I know he wants nothing but to please me and to make delicious, healthy food for me. But there's something that happens in that translation of what I think I want and what he's making and then if I get irritable or if I've been in traffic or if I – it all has to do with how I feel about myself. And especially today, and I wrote some notes just about what I heard. Uh, I made a few notes at each of the workshops that I went to. It just keeps coming down to how I feel about myself as a compulsive overeater. Step one, I'm 52 years old. I came in at 22. It's still about step one. The recovery at home is still about – I am powerless over food, though I've been abstaining a long time, and I know a lot about nutrition, 
and am respected for it, and my life has become unmanageable, but I've done a lot of things, including finding him. We found each other, and that, that, and all the other things that I've done. Yet, at times, in the most loving home, which I own and can afford, coming home from a job that I love and do well at and get well paid doing, at 6.30 when I turn off the ignition of my car, I'm as serene as can be, and at 6.32 when I walk in the door, I'm a total bitch. And it has to do partly with hunger, but I'm not so sure it's food hunger. And being in this wonderful relationship where we do talk about sharing and love and this life that we have together, which is much more than just program, but it is program as a bottom line, why do I do that? How many angles of inventory do I need to write? What, and of course, I want to work harder. Who said that today? Somebody in a workshop just working harder. I want to work harder. Give me another inventory to write, and then I will. What I really want to do is extract it out of me. I just really do not like how I am around food sometimes. And I, standing up here now, I think it may be the same way. I'm never happy with what weight I am. And I'm never happy with this. It's just, will it ever be okay that I have particular sensitivities and emotions and problems about food? And um, I'm hoping yes. And it feels like the way my insides are feeling right now, it feels like this, this OA convention, which I never go to conventions. Why would I spend a whole day in an OA meeting? But I feel like there's been a shift. And... So even before I get up here, got up here, the service commitment had done its wonder for me because we've, Eric and I have made a joke in the last few weeks. I'll just say the family afterwards, like here's another family afterward moment. I'm just, re, it's, it's not so much, and I know this because he's told me, it's not so much that I'm jealous because they're eating pizza and I have a dairy and wheat sensitivity. It's how I feel about myself, about having the dairy and wheat sensitivity. And after hearing Judy, it may not even be the dairy and wheat and pizza that I really want. That her talk, really, there's, there's all sorts of passions and sensual pleasures that I want, that I demand from food, and sometimes food can do it. And that's why there's gourmet restaurants and wonderful dishes and People like my husband and others spend a lot of time in the kitchen with their intuition and their fun and make delicious food. But, boy, if I'm not even tasting it and letting that in, there's not enough food in the world for the satisfaction that I want. And um, even the little things, and it is the little things. I think at the beginning of my years in program, it was the big things. A lot of big things had to be taken care of. There was a lot of learning, a big learning curve. But now it may not be so much the big things, it's the little things. Um, the debate a half an hour or 45 minutes ago about whether I would change my clothes or not. Now that's a very sensual thing to do. That's a very self-loving, self-caring. I, I carefully chose my favorite, some of my favorite clothes. I give professional talks in these clothes. I like them. I feel good. I look good. It's and and. And he was there for me then. He said, you might just change your attitude a little. And I, I did. It felt very good. 
to put these clothes on. That is something connected. I fill in the dots there, but that has something to do with recovery at home. Um, I don't dress the way I did when we were dating. And that affects a lot. And so rather than doing another inventory, going to another class, seeing another therapist, getting another sponsor, you know, all these very do, do, do kind of things, could it be as simple as putting on a little perfume and really enjoying the time that I have at home with my body and with him? I'm really spacing out here, but... I don't really, I don't like to look that way. I, I'd rather read a page here, but I didn't relate to this part at all. And then with my daughter, so much wanting her to have what we have and to see her weight the way we see it and to see it as a reminder and a doorway rather than a barrier and an obstacle. And, um, as it was with me growing up, the more my mother wanted me to lose weight and eat right, the more I ate and the less I did it. And I knew she loved me, but her attitude towards me kept me from doing some of the things I wanted to do and to taking care of myself. So I um, went to Al-Anon and got some guidance there. And I was told to go, actually. <laughs> no, I wasn't told to go. I was told that Al-Anons have what I need to know about this matter. And um, I, I took a step back from her. And you know what happened. Not that she's in this program. She's doing it her own way. But she is starting to see, and it is just the most wonderful thing in the world, the relationship between the way she eats and the way her body is and she's doing it in her own way and she's sharing it with me and this is very very important and so I don't use program language with her but I try to really really listen and hear and support but not in a oh good like oh you're doing or you know finally or anything like that it's more of an oh that's interesting and it is it actually is I might learn something and I already have she's got a totally different approach than I, but the nice thing is, is it's working for her, and that's a really wonderful thing to see in somebody. It's opened me quite up, and it's helping me with my son, too. It's also helping me be very open-minded today, now that I think of it, because I have heard things at this convention that I do not agree with, and that if I were to follow that way of recovery and that way of life, I'd be in some serious trouble, because I've tried it. That has to do for me right now, 30 years I've done a lot of things, with rigidity. Uh, Deprivation seems to be coming up a lot. And that is not an area I care to look at too much except if it's really important. And it seems like it's really important. And So um, who am I to know? Um, The other thing that's come up today and, and causes problems, on one hand causes problems at home, but when I'm aware of it, it's, it's just a really a difference between being aware and being um, ambushed by it is the comparison thing. I heard something this morning. A speaker said that she has no more food cravings. Said, oh, my God, what a failure am I? 
maybe I don't have food cravings, but I've got some kind of craving or I want to take something from the outside that you get to do that I've decided I don't get to do and I need that. And fill in the blank. Um, there are certain foods that fall into that category in certain ethnicity, rest, ethnic restaurants that if we go there, I feel like I'm not getting what I want and what I need, as if that particular food could give me what I really desire. And uh, it's very hard to turn over. And so I'm in process with it. And I'm very supported by this program and some other friends and other places that support me in this. The other thing that I heard from the, the long timers meeting, the long haul, five minutes, great, perfect, is um, touched me deeply to know who I am. Am I my weight? Am I my marriage? Am I my profession? Am I my body? Or am I what I'm willing to notice in the moment? And there are some times when I walk in the house at 6.30 in the evening or at 5.30 in the morning when we wake up or whatever it is, that I do not want to be present with how I am. I just, this, how I feel is not okay. Worse than not okay, it's dangerous. Now that's old biographical information. When I live alone, that's one thing. But when I live with a man that I love so much or my kids are around, they know my weird behavior around food. It pains me so much to see it in their face. Like, there's mom getting freaked out about food again. You know, just, mom, can't you just order something off the menu and, then, and just eat it, please? You're ruining it for us. I've ruined so many meals. I, I don't want to spend $10 for a little house salad. You know, I want what I want, but I want to be with them, but I want what I want, you know. God, grant me the serenity to somehow have the courage to know how I am in this moment. Because they know how I am. They're okay. Nobody has ever had any trouble with me that I know of for my food peculiarities and sensitivities. The problem is when I don't like it and I get reactive. That's what they don't like. And it's so, I'm saying it, but I think it's only going this far. Sometimes it goes this far, sometimes it goes all the way down. And the thing I heard a little later was, that at, an, at a wonderful meeting in step six and seven was about the separation. There's something that I long to be close to. And if I'm worried about food or I'm thinking that food's going to do it for me, I'm not going to get it. And I've seen that. I've seen it when we've been, I've been able to drop somehow whatever defenses are around me in the evening before dinner and open up to the love and the taste and the and, and it's really difficult when he's in a bad mood because I don't even want to open up to him. But there's something to open up to, even if it's just how my feet feel on the floor or how wonderful it is to take a deep breath. I am um, very very happy to be here, and the fact that everybody is here looking at me the way you are, I feel really really accepted and. To the best of my ability, with all the stuff that goes on with me, I will try to bring that to all the homes that I go to. Thank you. Our second speaker is Cynthia.
My name is Cynthia. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm very honored to be here. I've never spoken at this level before. I've done a marathon meeting, and I love to speak at meetings at home. Um, so I consider it a great privilege. And I, too, um, when I read the chapter or the, the paragraph, I thought, what do I know about this topic? Because um, I don't live with my family of origin, and they don't see me very often. And did I really cause them any problems at home anyway? And um, my husband um, never knew me as a compulsive overeater. I mean, as a practicing compulsive overeater without a program, and he's never seen me binge. And um, I'm not very good at asking for help, but I knew the people who had worked on the committee, and so I asked them, I said, what in the world did you pick me for this topic for? And um, one of them said, well, you got married about a year ago, so you have some family issues that you can deal with. And uh, you also had look back at your family and see what it was like. And I also asked some people that I sponsor and my sponsees for some guidance. So um, with all of that behind me, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to share my story with you. Um, I came into um, OA in 1985, and I've been here since. My abstinence date starts in 1992, so there's a gap. And I, I've heard my story in many of the, of the meetings today, um, the family that I grew up in wasn't a 12-step family. Um, I was the one who had the weight problem. My mother didn't. My dad didn't. My brother didn't. They didn't have any other isms that I know about. Um, and I, I was loved and cared for. I don't know how I became a compulsive overeater. I always say maybe like I, you know, I was a baby before Pampers, so maybe I got stuck with a pin or something, you know, and, and it, I was just unhappy and just didn't know how to get comfort at that time, but I do remember food being very, very important. I remember wanting to eat more than any of those other members of my family, including my dad and little girls I don't don't think eat more than their dads do. Um, I remember um, probably about from junior high, you know, sneaking food, not admitting that I took it when I was was asked about it. continued on into college where I stole food, I stole money, I denied it. Um, I felt that if if nobody knew about it or I didn't say that I did it, it didn't matter. It didn't hurt anybody. And so I'm thinking if I lived in my family that way, that they really must have had a hard time. I mean, do you tell your daughter, well, who ate the cookies if you say you didn't eat the cookies? And my mom thinks I did eat the cookies, but that's not how it was. So I got away with a lot. And I, I look back at my food stealing and my cheating and all of those things, and it wasn't because I didn't have money or I didn't have food. I didn't want to participate in getting those things. I wanted to take, you know, I didn't want to, if I didn't know it wasn't spending my own money, it really wasn't an issue. And um, so as I've looked back to that family, and I was a good student, I was a, a good child, um, but I had food issues, and I can tell you when I went away to college, and food was available in abundance, that when I came back and came off the plane in my sophomore year, my dad did not recognize me. 
I, I, you know, he walked right past me in the airport. And so I know that although um, my top weight was about 150 pounds, which is, well, 55, something like that, and I'm 5'1", um, that looks pretty chunky on a 5'1 person. And I tried diets. But my mother was a very small person, and she didn't really know how to help me. Um, she didn't know how to take me to the stores and find me the right kind of clothes because it had never been an issue for her. Um, and, I, and as I look back at this, I think, wow, she must have tried really, really hard to help me um, to be okay with who I was because I wasn't okay with who I was because I thought it was about how I looked. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there because um, what I really think is that I learned not to want to participate with my family. And the prime example of that was I did not go to my brother's wedding. Now, he's my only sibling, and we don't have a problem with each other. We grew up very close, but I couldn't imagine being at his wedding because of the size that I was. I didn't know how to be not the center of attention, but sort of the center of attention. Um, I will tell you, I did not participate in either my um, college or my graduate school graduation for the same kind of reason. I have all of that focus on me. I just didn't know what to do with it. It would send send me to the food faster than anything, but I didn't know that was an issue. So... um, And again, I didn't think a whole lot of not going to my brother's wedding. I was in Southern California. He was in Northern California. Um, I would send him a present. I I would write a very nice card with the present. And I later learned um, and found out that my sister-in-law, who I, from the moment I met her, loved her, thought that I didn't come to the meeting, I mean, to the wedding because of her, that I didn't like her. I didn't want her to be a part of our family. And I learned that um, after I'd been in program, this was probably, I learned it in 1991. And the way that I learned that is because in addition to being a compulsive overeater, I do, um, I'm a chronic depressive, have depression. And it gets into remission just like my compulsive overeating goes into remission, and I do the best to keep it there. But um, in that particular time in program, I'm going to give a pitch for service because that was my sickest time. That's when I had come into program at a lower weight and started gaining weight. And my one service was to bring coffee to a meeting. And because I had to show up at that meeting to bring coffee, that's the only reason that I'm still here today. Because I could not, um, my life was work, food, work, food, work, food. And I had some parameters that I had to finish eating by 7 o'clock because if I ate the quantities that I ate and then tried to go to bed and sweated and tossed and turned, um, couldn't do that if I did it after 7 o'clock and then I would go to work and function, so to speak, but not really function at all, not have a manageable life. And so in 1991, um, I got help and I went into a recovery program mostly for the depression, but luckily it was a 12-step one as well. And so that's why I date my abstinence from 1991 is because when I entered the doors of that hospital, I didn't know what my food was going to be like, and I at least had the sanity, I think, to say whatever they give me, I will eat, and that, you know, I will just one day at a time get through. Because I, And the reason I got there was because I was suicidal. 
um, I'm not there anymore, and I don't choose to go back. Um, but that's when I found out about my sister-in-law and what she thought. And also while I was in the hospital, I wouldn't let my family talk to me. I put limits. I didn't want them to know really where I was. I wouldn't accept calls from them. And so that's really how my disease, um, I think that's how it came across to my family. They just didn't know. I wouldn't let them in. I wouldn't let them in. And um, I believe a lot in living amends. And, and that's how I think that I've dealt with, with that issue, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, when I did come into program, I did tell my parents about it, and they didn't know what OA was, and but they were very happy that I was doing something for myself. And I remember crying when I told them about it. Um, and I just lost my train of thought, but hold on a moment, I'll come back. Um, Oh, living amends. Um, so when I went to make amends to them and to tell them some of the things that I did and how I lied and how I cheated and stole, they really didn't want to know. That's just not who they are. You know, they just said, are you okay now? Are you getting the help you need now? And so I kind of got the sense that, that that wasn't the way to go, to like, you know, pour out everything that I had done in my fourth step. And so I do a living amends. And so... What I found that means is that I can participate in activities today. I can show up. Um, we've had the experience over the past few years where my dad said, let's get together for the holiday season and let's not go where anybody lives because there are now teenagers. My nieces are teenagers and young, young women. And if we go to where they live, they will have tons of activities. So we all went to Carmel. We've done this for a, a couple of years. And I wanted to go, and I wanted to be there, and I wanted to see them enjoy our family and me being part of that family. And um, this past year, um, in, in October, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm pleased to tell you that he's doing very well. But I wanted to be there, and I and, um, didn't know I was going to be just emotional about it, but that's... That to me is a living amends. That's behaving differently, just like with the food. I don't do a perfect abstinence. My abstinence is so I get it in there is um, that I write down my food no matter what, no matter what, you know. And I've had some really interesting things in my food journal, um, chocolate and cookies and all those kinds of things. But um, what I know is I do it differently than before program, and it gets better, and I'm willing to make changes as best I can as I go along. Um, I also don't know if I would or would not be married at this point with or without the program. My, my feeling is that I probably wouldn't be because when I was at my high weight, when I was the craziest, I didn't do anything with people out there. I had no social life at all. And I think that um, – I did ask my husband, by the way, and I told him – uh, he's not in program, and I told him that I was going to be speaking and what the topic was, and I said, do you have anything that you'd like to share? <laughs> and he said, well, this, I never knew you before, and and I love you, and um, I'm glad I'm married to you, and um, no, you know, go and tell your story. So uh, he, as I said, I, I, he knows I'm in program. He sees me do the things, you know, be a sponsor, take calls, have quiet time in the morning, go to meetings when I'm on vacation and those kinds of things. But 
it's not very integrated into my program, but I don't think that um, we would have gotten married. We knew each other for 10 years, and um, I met him. Someone introduced me to him, and I wasn't interested, and I thought, well, you know, maybe it would be nice to have a platonic male friend. I thought maybe he's gay, or, you know, I don't know. But um, he was interested, and he pursued me, and I kept showing up. And um, I, I even remember thinking, well, I have some male friends in program. I'll just kind of go out with him, and it will be like having that. But we, I think because of the program, um, I was able to share my program with him very early on. That was very important to me, and he really didn't understand it. And he went to his EAP program at work, that's like human resources, to find an answer so that he and I could be together so he could fix me and we wouldn't have to deal with the food issue. But um, it's not possible. Um, and I also, in in that early period, I'm just kind of remembering some things. I was in therapy and I, I remember saying to my therapist, he gives me so much, you know, what can I give? What do I, and my therapist said, you work the best program that you can and then you will be the best Cynthia that you can be and then you'll be present for him. And that is a present. And I have that written and I keep it because that's all, that's all that I can do. And so, um, I'll just sort of tell you the exciting thing of being a newlywed. I think it's pretty neat. Um, we never just really had time to get married. When I never really wanted to be married. He wasn't interested. Here we were both in our 50s, never married, no children, no baggage, as they say. And it just kind of worked. And, and uh, we like have a lot of things that we like to do together. And a few years ago, um, we talked about moving in together. And one of my OA friends said, well, why don't you do a trial, you know? So I did. I For three months, we sort of decided I would move into his house. And I took things to make an atmosphere for me that so that I could move in. And it worked very nicely. And I stayed. And we still didn't talk about getting married. And then uh, last uh, June 13th, a year ago, and we were kind of talking about it, and we liked Santa Barbara, and we were thinking of maybe getting married at the courthouse there, and one thing led to another, and um, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if we had a neat date, and I all of a sudden I thought about August 8th. 2008 and given that that was enough for both of us to decide to get married and and so bringing back my family into it the wedding was his parents and my parents um, a Unitarian minister and Fred and myself and um, from we didn't it wasn't about in this case not inviting my brother we that was just how small it was and then we each had separate we had we included celebrations with our family later but to have my mom and dad there to show up when they were there um, and one other piece I'll put in because we did send out announcements and I've had to make amends to people who I some one woman in particularly who I don't see but I made amends and they asked if they could send an announcement to her. And I said, of course you can. And um, I, that, I don't know where that willingness came from because this is a woman who, for all the amends that I've done, hers was the one that I really didn't think I could ever do. And I did have done it to the best of my ability with a letter and finding a check and, and, um, 
and getting to the place where if I saw her, I wouldn't run and hide. And it was just, it was through my parents' willingness to send her an announcement, she then sent us a, a present. And then I got to send her a thank you note. And we still haven't seen each other. But to me, again, that's, I'm, I'm not always, as I was reading the book, and it talks about the family afterwards, one of the thoughts I had is it's really about all kinds of relationships. It can be a working relationship, a, a husband and wife relationship, a family of origin relationship, that the, that the things in that chapter, which talk about giving rather than getting, that whole sort of um, St. Francis prayer concept that's in, in step 11, um, of being tolerant and kind and loving. Um, certainly, if I had been the alcoholic that this was described there, I don't think I quite made that it that far. But the important thing is I can still use the love, tolerance, kindness in all of my affairs. And that is sort of a, that's what I got out of um, my interpretation of that, those two paragraphs, which I didn't think that I related to at all. So thank you for letting me share. <laughs> okay, thank you, Cynthia. Um, do we have the ask it basket? No questions. Okay. If there are no questions, then the speakers will be given a second chance to say what they meant. Oh, my gosh. I need another half an hour on that one. Um, or what they left out. So is, are there questions, or shall we just do that? Or do we want to do some sharing? Do you have something else that you want to say? Mm, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And I, I will preface it by saying I'm sorry I was late. I was speaking with someone who was, um, or speaking with someone about this. And so I'm not exactly sure if my question is going to be appropriate, but it's about family and program at home. So my question is, my particular situation right now, my significant other is practicing my disease and a couple other issues. And I'm having a really hard time not taking his inventory 24 hours a day and just keeping my nose into my business and working my program. And so I was just wondering if either of you had any experience friends and hope to share on something how do you keep from, how do I, how do I keep my recovery intact? Yeah, I do, I do. I wish, sure. So the question is that the questioner's significant other is practicing her disease and other diseases, and the temptation is to take their inventory and to know what they should do. and. How do you keep working your program and let them live their life and use the slogan, live and let live? And hey, that's a great slogan, but how do you do it when it's somebody you love? Yeah, I do have experience. I wish I didn't. <laughs> and um, with my daughter, I don't know if you're here when I talked about my daughter. My daughter um, is 23 and she was obese by three or four. And um, 
So it's very, very challenging. And I think it's like what we hear all the time. It could either be a problem or it could be a great opportunity for spiritual growth that just means that I need to do everything that I do even more and know as much as I can while looking at the person hurting themselves that there is a higher power and that I have mine and need and responsible for my contact with my higher power and that there is a loving force in their life too other than me. It's extremely challenging. Um, <clears throat> my first husband and I, it was pretty uh, much something that I, we just, we, we met on OA campus. Um, <laughs> Right after I came off a binge, I had one relapse, and it was very, very difficult to see the father of my children going back to his ways. And um, it became very, very challenging, too, in our case, because, of course, he was resentful that I was continuing on this path. And, and it, was, it was just, I, I, you know, so I, I really feel for you. but. Looking back over the long haul of it, rather than just that really intense few years, I can see how I have learned to rely on a power greater than myself and to look at my own side of the street, always coming back there and, and also do the little prayers. If there is a way that they can find a way to not hurt themselves, please. You know, just those kind of things, the, the morning prayers almost every day. There's some kind of a prayer for somebody. And not that they find my way, but that they find their way as soon as possible. That's, and then to get with other people that are in that situation or have been there as, you know, so that you can let your feelings really come out. I, I was very much listened to at that time. And there were some tough decisions, but I, I didn't, I needed not to shut, me to shut down by becoming controlling or thinking that I know. Because ultimately, it's only my program that can work as much as, oh my gosh, I would devote my whole life to having my daughter lose weight and be healthy if I possibly could. But that's, it didn't help when my mom tried. It hurt. So I wish you. exactly experience that I can tell you on um, yesterday Friday I took the day off so that I could come here and um, he works every, he's off every other Friday so we were both off and I didn't sometimes um, if it's a holiday I'll check with my sponsees for example and we'll decide that we won't take calls at regular times but I didn't do that so I get a call at 615 um, then I do prayer meditation of my own and I call my sponsor at 645 and I have someone that, and so um and that routine doesn't happen usually on Saturday. So normally when we're home together, we have breakfast together. 
And um, I had to do all of these other things while he was waiting for me to have breakfast. And luckily, he decided to go on and eat, eat without me. But it, it did feel sort of funny, I will, from even my own perspective, um, to, to, that I, I really have to do these other things. And, and um, it hasn't seemed to be a problem. Um, I'm not sure that answered your question, but, but he... he uh, yeah, he doesn't do the things I do. <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit of, just for my experience, is um, I, I found it necessary to go through those uncomfortable feelings of how to partition the time. I just, I wish it was smooth. So, um, but I think now, now I found something to relate to here, that giving rather than getting, I, I just, that just seems really appropriate because I don't know if it's always the quantity that they want, but it's, it's just like with me. I don't need tons of those. I don't need tons of anything, but I just need, you know, that right amount. I, I think that's it. I'm keeping track of when it's close to five. So the question was, having a, a higher power of your own understanding, is that ever shared with a partner? Yeah, it's really nice. It's, it's really, really nice. Uh, I went looking second time around, 15 years between relationships between my, my husband, and found somebody who was interested in that. It wasn't a requirement. We keep saying that. It didn't have to be. But it worked out that way, and it's very, very satisfying. But I had to be really sure for myself that it didn't have to be that way. It never has to be, but um, which is a lot, which is a freedom. Um, I've had some strong role models, long timers in program, people who have what I want so much that I call them regularly, and one's my sponsor, whose significant others are not in program, and I don't think they talk about it. And they've shown me models of wonderful marriages and really strong giving programs. So it didn't have to be that way. But it is in my life, and we really enjoy it and in, in a variety of ways. Well, my situation is just, I would say, the opposite. Um, Fred is an atheist. He knew he was an atheist when he was, I think he told me, in sixth grade. I don't even know the exact definition of atheist today. I'm in, in the chapter to the agnostic. I have to go and relook them up. Um, and we have had some discussions. And, and it's also interesting, he, he's a Unitarian, and he goes to church on Sunday. I go to my main OA meeting on Sunday. So he, um, we're each in a place of spiritual um, sustenance, but it's very, very different. And he sort of asked me, you know, do you really believe in God or what's that? And, and I shared with him a little bit, um, and it has nothing to do with compatibility. And actually in the chapter it talks about non-denominational assistance from other people. But um, uh, he does know that I have a, a, a concept of a higher power. It's very personal. It's very internal. And um, he, I don't just 
I don't talk about prayer and meditation so much. I talk about quiet time. It just is a, a, it's an easier way for me to talk about it. Um, he seems not to want to be around a lot when I'm doing that. Um, so, and, and it works. So I guess you can have both. You know, you can have a very, you know, strong shared relationship um, around a higher power and then this is my example is, is not that and um, as a result I, I guess I'll say that our wedding ceremony was very very non-religious in any sense of the word and this isn't really religious but it was his choice to have mazel tov to be the last word of the ceremony <laughs> If we don't have anything else, we can always do a meditation. Or if there's somebody who would like to share, it sounds like we have time for a couple of people to share. I'm Angie. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I really wouldn't share except that really brought up something for me. Um, I've been married about six and a half years, and uh, I think I was 56. Yeah, I was 56 when we got married. And um, <clears throat> in the beginning, um, my husband needs a lot of space, and I could stand more togetherness than he could. And uh, it was hard for me to, um, something you shared, you know, brought this up for me. It was hard for me, like when I retired, I thought he'd be always so happy that I retired. And he said, uh, I need two hours in the house alone every week. I need my alone time. And I said, well, you've been having it. I've been going to an OA meeting. You haven't noticed. And oh, let's see, I really want to zero in on why I wanted to share about this. Um, in the beginning... I think I felt rejected, and I took it personally. And I remember um, thinking, well, you prayed to love him the way that he needs to be loved, and here's your chance. So I worked on that, and I was really scared. I was really so afraid to live with him. And what has happened is that we have just fallen into such a nice ebb and flow and when he spends a lot of time doing his own things and I have my own things and then we come together and we actually do um, a tent step. And we belong to a couples meeting, too, that we go to. And we do a tent step on our relationship every week, which for people that um, are not in program, like we had a couple friends that maybe one of them wasn't in program, we said, you could still do that. You could just call it a meeting where we check in, and it really helps me because sometimes I'll think, well, he's putting me off. When's it going to be time to talk? And I know we have this quality time to look forward to, and what we talk about is what were the highs and lows of the week. Um, something I have, we have a little written format. Um, what uh, were we in integrity, or what, what's our intention for the next week? What are five things I could do to help you? 
And that has been such a wonderful format because it's left a place to say things like, if you could wring the sponge out, it would be great. Mm-hmm. Instead of just waiting until you say, God darn it, I'm stinky all the time. You know, but it's just like, and my husband's so good at saying, well, I have a request. Could you do this? So it gives a place to talk about the things when it's out of the heat of the moment and the communication. And I guess what happened, you kind of touched me about that sort of fear that I felt in the beginning about every little thing, and it just kind of eased out, and, and it felt fine, and it's just like valuing the differences and, and just sort of getting into it. It's real easy now. It's really easy, but for me, that was about fear, that it wasn't going to be okay with him for me to be who I was. And I felt less than because I'm the person who could handle more togetherness. Now, God darn it, I'm the woman. And he should be chasing after me, begging for my time. And somehow, you know, I had to get over all that stuff. Anyway, that's all. Oh, sure. Thank you. Thank you. We could sit here and each person could think about what they would say if they were going to. (laughs) I'm Linda, compulsive reader. And this last um, discussion about our own partner, um, I want to try and key in on what prompted me to raise my hand. Today is our 16th anniversary, and I'm here, (laughs) maybe not, but we have, like that Khalil Gibran, have lots of spaces in our trees, lots, so that both of the big oaks can grow up getting lots of light and not overshadowing each other. Um, I've been in program since 77, and he finally of his own volition, started about 10 years ago. And for all those years that he wasn't coming, I had to um, love him the way he was, the way he ate. And I loved, and, and I will say that even no matter, even when I came back from living in Guatemala 20 years ago, and I was down because of the way I ate, down to the skinniest I had dreamed to be. I still had that a little, a little stomach like I, you know, people with cancer have a little pat, you know, it's just the way I that curve down there where the pot is. He still had to make a comment about that, you know. <laughs> so, so um, couldn't be perfect enough. But anyway, um, what what did I want to say? Um, so now he's in program, and he has his own way of eating. He eats not the way I would, and I have to bite my tongue to make some comment about abstinence. I mean, God is watching over him, and he doesn't seem to have the kind of higher power that I have. And that's his program, and I just have to just let him as if he wasn't in program. <laughs> He's just doing what he has to do for himself, and that is not a discussion that is appropriate. Um, but we and, and back to giving. 
What I do know is that I am very self-centered, and when I remember to do, in our, as our, our partnership, to do the things, get out of myself, get out of my way of escape, which is to sit at my desk, and to go out and work in the garden, or to make a nice meal, these are the things that he comes up to me and says, am I in the right house? That's his way of saying, I love you. Am I in the right house? Because I'm cooking. Even if it's microwaving Trader Joe's, I'm in the kitchen. Um, And I'm doing things that are things he loves to do. That's all he wants. He just wants some of me. And I I forget to do that. And, And that's what makes our relationship wonderful when I get out of myself. Great meeting. Thank you to everybody. It is now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence for us and all our families. And then we'll have a closing prayer.